All right, go ahead and be seated. It's certainly good to be here again today. I was joking with Brother Folger that I, I think I messed up so badly last night that pastor said, hey, you've got to try again. All right. But uh, I noticed that Brother Ricardo here, and we're both Aussies, okay? And uh, I'll tell you a story. A number of years ago when Brother Ricardo was at Bible College, uh, he came to Australia for, uh, for a break. And uh, in Australia, we like our football. Brother Ricardo was uh, running with the football, and he looked at me and saw, how do you say, the, the little baby uh, deer cowering in the headlights. And he took that ball and he ran it so hard that it knocked me completely out. And I don't know if you remember that. I certainly don't remember it because I was knocked out on the floor, you know. But uh, if you could just pray for us, we'll be starting the New Life Baptist Church in Sydney, Australia. Yes, I did rip it from Peter Maud. And um, if you're wondering, I'm just going to tell you I did. And uh, we're starting in the new year, and I, I thought of a logo, a new, a new hope, a new life, uh, a new you, but then it sounded like Jenny Craig, okay? So we can't do that, all right? It's a church. But grab your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. I love this passage of Scripture that we see in our Bibles here, and we'll read it together. Why don't we stand for the reading of God's Word, and then I'll pray, and then you can be seated. It says here in Mark chapter 2, And again he, Jesus, entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straight away many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much, as about the door, and he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four, and when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Look at verse 11. This is Jesus speaking to that man sick with the palsy. He said, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way unto thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this day fashion. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for these students. And uh, Lord, I I don't know what is going on in their life. Uh, I don't know how you are speaking to each one of them. But Lord God, give us a passion for the lost. Lord God, I pray that you uh, just have your hand over this message. May it glorify you in your name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to ask you to take out your phone or a piece of paper. I'm going to give you 15 seconds to write down a name of somebody you know who is not saved or somebody that you know is maybe backslidden and not in church. Everyone across the auditorium, can you do that for me? Everyone should have a name, at least one name written down. In Mark chapter 2, Jesus has come into Capernaum. Capernaum was a, had a population of around 1,500 people. It was known to be a bit of a trade hub, and all the merchants came. So they would come from all over the place into, Caper, into Capernaum and kind of sell and trade their goods and services. You can imagine when they came to Capernaum, they would have voiced the name of Jesus because Jesus had gone about performing miracles, and they didn't have the internet that, those days, so there was no news channel And Jesus probably uh, was the name that was being spoken about in that town. So it was no surprise that when Jesus came, 
that the Bible says here that, that, that the, the house was, was so full. It was like a can of sardines and everyone was, was in that house. They wanted to see what Jesus would say. But more importantly, I think they, they probably also wanted to see what Jesus would do. The Bible introduces us to then a man who the Bible says was sick with the palsy, someone like a, probably like a paraplegic, or today they would probably be confined to a wheelchair, but the Bible introduces us to this man. But today's message uh, uh, class is not about uh, these four men, uh, sorry, the, the, this man with the palsy. Today's message is about these four men who had a burning desire to get their friend to Jesus. And you know what? They understood that Jesus could meet the physical need. And you know, in like manner, it should be our desire to get those whom we love to Jesus. Because Jesus doesn't just meet the physical need of mankind. More importantly, Jesus can meet the spiritual need of mankind. Today's message I have titled, Get Them to Jesus. If we are going to take the, the gospel to the world corporately, then young people, I dare say it, we need to first take the gospel personally. You see, the measure of a man is not found in the possessions that he has. It's not found in the car. It's not found in his house. It's not found in his career. It is found in obedience to God's word. And you know what God's word says? It says, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This command to be a witness of Jesus Christ that's given to individuals who are part of a larger body, which is called the church. And where the church is made of many local assemblies. But because of that, I'm afraid we're prone to do something that's not correct. We're prone to outsource evangelism to maybe the pastor, the associate pastor, the college faculty, everyone else except for ourselves. But let me remind you here today, if you are saved and if you are breathing, then you have a charge by Jesus Christ himself to go into all the world and to tell others about him. Hudson Taylor said the Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. In Australia, we have two great uh, landmarks, so to speak. We have the Opera House and we have the Harbour Bridge. If people come to Sydney, they probably stay in North Sydney, they travel across the Harbour Bridge, they see the Opera House and the city and all those things. So I want you, want you to picture with me in my mind's eye, you're visiting Sydney, and, and you, you wake up in the morning, you decide to go into the city, and you, and you travel across the Harbour Bridge. As you drive along the Harbour Bridge, you notice that the cars in front of you, that they disappear. They're just disappearing. They just seem to go nowhere. And they, they're one minute there, then the next minute they're gone. And as you continue driving towards the middle of the bridge, your heart, it begins to race as you realize those cars are not disappearing. Rather, the, there's a, the bridge is out. There's a hole in the bridge. And one by one, those cars are plunging into the water some 150 feet below. Realizing the danger, you immediately, you pull your car over to the side of the road and you, you begin waving people down and you, you say, please, please stop your car. There's, the bridge is out. But there are some people as well who might just be content to sit in their car and wait for somebody else to do what really you should be doing. You know, we're faced with a similar issue today. You see, as born-again believers, we know that the bridge is out. 
that sin has run its course, that sin has consequences. You know that the wages of sin is death. And people like those people all over the world, like the people in these cars, are destined to face an eternal future without Jesus Christ. The question is, are we going to get out of the car and warn them? Or are we content to sit in our cars, living our greatest purpose-driven life all the while our friends, our neighbours, our colleagues, our, uh, our, uh, our work colleagues as well, one by one drop into the freezing waters below. Church, I'd like to remind you that love is not a feeling. Love is, is an act of the will. In fact, our love is not found in our feelings. It's found in our actions. When is the last time you loved somebody enough to put your busy life on hold and warn them of the certain danger ahead of them? When was the last time that you said, hey, you know what? I want to get out of my car. I want to get out of my comfort zone. And I just want to tell somebody about Jesus. We've been commissioned by God to go into the world as ambassadors to share the gospel message with all men. Jesus didn't have an alliterated outline. He didn't, he, he didn't homiletically um, speak something that was really profound. He simply said to us, as my Father had sent me, even so send I you. Today I want to show you the extraordinary lengths that these four men went to get their friend to Jesus. And in doing so, how it reveals to us three, uh, three um, identifiers of how we can be fishers of men. Notice first of all that these men had a deep concern. These men had a deep concern. You know, hospitality in the East was one of, my, one of the most basic laws and people didn't wait for an invitation to come into that house. They came in droves until the house was full. But unfortunately, because the house was so full, this meant that people who really needed to be healed, like this man who was sick with the palsy, could not get to Jesus. But this man had some friends these men had some friends, and these friends exp expressed a deep concern, and this concern evidenced the same compassion that Jesus had for, the, for mankind. In Matthew 9.36, it says, But when he, Jesus, saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. These men had a legitimate concern for somebody who could not get to Jesus on their own. When you look upon others around you, do you have a legitimate concern for them? Do you understand their plight? Are you moved with compassion towards them? I want you to notice how their deep concern was, first of all, evidenced by their purpose. Look at Luke 5, verse 18. Luke 5, actually 17 and 18. It's a parallel passage of Scripture, same story. In Luke 5, 17 and 18, it says, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. Isn't that amazing? The power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken but with a palsy. You know, many people simply would have uh, walked by this guy. Many people would have simply uh, just said, hey, you know what? Uh, I have to get to Jesus. They would have just walked past this man with a palsy. I'm guessing that this man had to be taken there every day to where he was. They had probably seen that man day after day. It wasn't a very big town. They probably knew who he was. But instead of stopping to help, they had to get to Jesus. And they forgot about this man. 
These four men, though, knew that this man had a problem. They knew that Jesus was the solution. They knew that their purpose was to get him to Christ. See, they believed that not only with all their heart that Jesus had the power to heal, but they believed that Jesus had the desire to heal. And let me just tell you, church, that it is God's desire that all men would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2, and he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you know what propitiation means? It just simply, in the simplest form, it means satisfactory payment. When you go to Walmart and, you, and you're checking out your, your groceries and you get to the, the counter and you go to pay and you, you're in LA, so you, they, the lady rings you up and says, hey, that'll be about $850 for the week. So you go and you, you, you pay your groceries and, and instead of paying with a credit card or cash, you, t- you say to her, hey, you know what? I'm a banana farmer and uh, in, my, uh, in my truck, I've got um, bananas and, and I'd like to take this uh, 60 pounds of bananas and I'd like to pay with my groceries with it. You know, she's going to think you're bananas, <laughs> right? She's going to say, hey, listen, that's not a satisfactory payment for these groceries. You know what people try to do in this world? They try to pay for their sins with good deeds. They try to pay with their, for their sins with tradition. They try to pay with, for their sins with religion. But church, let me just tell you here today, young people, the only satisfactory payment is the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus Christ is the only solution to the sin problem. The problem that plagues mankind, and we need to be intentional about bringing the lost to him. We know the problem that mankind faces. We know the solution offered by Jesus Christ. But you know what? Sometimes we can become willfully ignorant of those around us. You know, you ought to be purposeful, intentional each and every day. You should understand that when you leave this building here, that you are now entering the mission field. You see, the mission field isn't just a global place, right? The mission field is Lancaster. The mission field is California. And we need people who will stand up and be bold and to proclaim the name of Christ. We understand here that their deep concern wasn't just evidenced by their purpose. It was also evidenced by their persistence. In Luke 5.18, it says here, And behold, men brought in a bed a man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. You know, many people in the crowd, I've mentioned this earlier, they simply would have just walked by him or come up with an excuse as why this man could not be taken to Jesus. Hey, you know what? The the house is so full, we can't even get you in. Hey, maybe come back tomorrow. But these men, the Bible say uh, that they sought means to bring him in. They saw the crowds. They knew that they could not make it in. Yet they actively searched out another method by which they can get their friend to Jesus. And let me just tell you something. Let me, I don't want to, to say something wrong here, but there's only one way to heaven, Amen. right? I'm not saying anything other than that, right? If you're going to get to the Father, you've got to go through Jesus. But I want to say this. Soul winning is not so much about a once-off conversation than it is about consistent and persistent nurturing. 
right? Consistent and persistent nurturing. Sometimes, you know what we do, we go to someone, we meet them on the street, and we give them a track and go, hey, you know what, I'd like to invite you to my church. And before they can even answer, you're going away because we're scared of rejection. And, and listen, I think that's just human tendency to be a little bit scared of rejection. It, it, it happens, okay? You're not alone in that area. Nobody likes to be uh, uh, rejected. But that doesn't abstain us from fulfilling the Great Commission. Not all plants grow the same. When you plant a seed, some will wither away, some will grow fast, some will grow slow, some will grow straight, some will even grow sideways, but with consistent care, some plants will come to full maturity, some will even blossom. In like manner, you young people don't know the outcome of the gospel seeds that you are sowing. The Great Commission involves baptizing, going, baptizing, teaching, and you know what this is going to involve? It's going to involve two things, regular commitment and regular sacrifice. The results may vary, but we need to be faithful in our persistence. Don't just give up after one try. Keep going back to the cafe. Keep going back to the the same diner or the in and out or wherever it is and keep uh, keep investing yourself in that one person. Keep praying for them. Keep sowing seeds. Remember, it's God who gives the increase. As I think about church planning, uh, I always think about, you know what, uh, I used to get nervous about it and winning souls and things like that. And and then then I started thinking to myself, you know what, I don't do the saving. God does the saving. I don't do the convicting. The Holy Spirit works in their life to convict. My job is to go. My job is to go and tell others about him. But not only do we see a deep concern, notice secondly, we see a deliberate unity. Without Jesus, I always say this, without Jesus Christ, a church like Lancaster or churches all over the world will just be community centers. It is Jesus Christ that unites us. As a church, we labor, we co-labor, we work together in the ministry. Each member of the body, they have a role to play. And one of the areas that we labor together in is is soul winning. Notice how these men were unified in their burden. In Mark 2 verse 3, it says here, and they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. The word born simply means to lift up. You don't need to go into the Greek. You just use a dictionary, okay? These four men, they work together to lift up to carry their friend to where he needed to go. Remember, you can only be in unison if you share a common goal. You, you can imagine those four men, they pick up the, this man, they put him on his shoulders. Two of them go that way. Two of them go that way. Let me just tell you, this guy is going to end up with more than just a palsy. He's going to end up probably with a broken back. In Philippians 1.27, it says this. It says, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving how? Together for the faith of the gospel. There's all these buzzwords for what uh, makes a church operate. Uh, People talk about transparency. People talk about uh, accountability. 
But let me just tell you, it's humility that leads to unity. It's humility that leads to unity. It says here, striving together for the faith of the gospel. In, in, um, in Philippians chapter 2, it says, let this mind be in you. What mind? The striving together mind, right? It says, let this mind be in you that always also is in Christ Jesus. And then it talks about how Jesus humbled himself, made himself as the form of a serpent. The greatest example of servanthood, the greatest example of humility that we have is Jesus Christ. And we can't work in unison, guys, if, if we are disjointed. And I just wonder here today, are there relationships that are broken? Are there relationships maybe that are hindering the Holy Spirit working to get people to Jesus? Hey, we need to sort those things out. We need to be in unison. You see, we are united in our cause for Christ. It's for this cause that we live our Christian life. It's for this cause that we work together for the sake of the gospel that unites us. Christianity is a inside-out relationship. From the moment the Holy Spirit, uh, from the moment you get saved, the Holy Spirit indwells you on, he's he's on a mission to change you from the inside out. But you know what? The legalistic Christian is not interested in, 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 uh, in, in the inward change. They place burdens on others, and instead of adding, uh, instead of taking the burden, they add to the burden. The Bible refers to these people as Pharisees. The, the Pharisaical Christian has an outward showing, but their heart is far from God. But in contrast, the spirit led, spirit filled Christian demands more of himself than he does of others because he wants to be able to help others. Why are you telling us this? Because we ought to be a burden bearer to those around us. We ought to come around uh, uh, those around us. We ought to help carry the load. It wasn't one person that got their friend to Jesus. There were four people who came alongside and carried that man. In our church, we have a young man. I'll mention his name. I've mentioned, he knows I do this. His name's Johan. And and Johan is a Sri Lankan uh, kid. He's a good friend of mine. He was in our youth group. And Johan just has a desire to bring people to church. And he's just got a real knack for it. And God's given him a gift to speak to people and to love people in that way. And Johan brought this lady, Karina. And Karina came to church with Johan. And Johan said to my wife, hey, Miss Amabel, would you mind looking after Karina? She's a single mom. I'm a single guy. If you can kind of uh, help me with that, that would be appreciated. My mom, my, uh, my, 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 my wife, sorry. Uh, very sorry. I'll, I'll deal with that one later, right? But um, <laughs> my wife runs a group called Raising Arrows, and, and it's kind of uh, helping young mothers uh, in the area of uh, raising godly children. And she took this mom, and we invited her to dinner, and she was eating food. My wife opened the, the Bible, and this mom got saved in our house. And you know what? This mom now brings her daughter to church. When she gets to church, our youth leaders, Darren and Rekka, grab this young lady and, uh, and they open the scripture and they teach her simply the Romans road and she gets saved. So now you have mom and daughter getting saved. 
So on a Sunday, this is what it looks like. Sunday morning, mum goes to work. She's in sterilization in a hospital, so she has to work every, every so often on a Sunday. But she drops off Olivia at our house. Olivia has breakfast at our house, usually waffles and all that sort of healthy stuff. And she, has, she enjoys a breakfast, and then we take Olivia to church. After church, Darren and Rekka, our youth leaders, take Olivia. They go back to her house. In the evening now, Darren and Rekka bring this girl back to church. Mum finishes work, comes into church. She's reunited with the daughter. They worship God together in church. Now, because they're new Christians, our pastor, Pastor Tom and his wife, uh, Heidi, they now counsel them together because it's a new way of mother-daughter relationship. And they're trying to teach them from the Bible what it is to be a Christian. You know what this is, church? This is, sorry, you know what it is, guys? This is the church working together to get somebody to Jesus. Now, let me tell you something. I wish I could say that's the way it is with everyone, but it's not. It should be. But we should work together. Now, you know what? Put your hand up if you wrote a name down. Put your hand up if you wrote, Stand up for me. If you wrote a name down, stand up. It makes it awkward if you didn't write a name down, right? right? Look around the auditorium today. All around the auditorium, what you see are people, students, who have written down a name Who's going to go to the guy next door and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to help you get your friend to Jesus. I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to encourage with you. I'm going to even visit your friend with you. I'm going to carry your burden. Your burden is my burden. Why? Because we need to be in unity. Take a seat. This is the, this is the church working together. We're unified in our burden to point people to Christ. Notice as well, they were unified in their work. Mark 2, 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. You see, once they reached the top of the roof, they moved some of the tiles aside and together they lowered their friend to Jesus. Can you imagine what that would have looked like? Can you imagine being in this auditorium today if somebody started kind of drilling into the roof and through the roof you see a light shining down, much to Pastor Chapel's disgust, right? And uh, this guy ended up kind of descending down, right? And that's exactly what happened on that day. You can imagine what would happen. Everybody would look up. Everybody would look up. They would see this man coming down into, before the presence of Jesus. And I was thinking about this um, passage here, and I just thought to myself something. I wrote down here, some people are content to watch, while there are those who would recognize the importance of holding the rope. There are some who will watch, others will hold the rope. Before leaving for India, William Carey famously told Andrew Fuller, I will go into the pit if you will hold the ropes. Fuller held the ropes by serving as president of the Baptist Mission Society from its founding until his death in 1814. He traveled all over the British Isles, raising funds and pre preaching missions-related sermons. The missionaries in India and other uh, early fields could concentrate on their ministry in the field because they knew Fuller was advocating for them back home. I don't know what it is God's called you to do at West Coast Baptist College. But can I encourage you guys, not just uh, to watch the ministry go by, not just to treat soul winning on a Saturday in a blasé attitude so you can fill in a focus report. Let me encourage you to roll up your sleeves and to hold the rope. Amen. 
you know, you guys are struggling to even pay for your school fees. I get that. You know where real faith will kick in? If you fill in one of those cards. Fill in one of those cards. Ask the Lord to provide. My dad says this, you cannot outgive God, so give God what's right, not what's left. Finally, now we see a dedicated faith. We see the focus of their faith, and we'll be very quick now. Luke 5.20, and when he saw their faith, he said unto them, man, thy sins are forgiven thee. You know, as believers, the object of our faith is Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. When people came into the house, their desire, no doubt, was to see what Jesus would say and do. And you know what Jesus did? He did not disappoint. The Bible says that he preached the word unto them. What's going to make a church plant flourish is not a website. It's not going to be an, an awesome standout logo. It's not going to be the graphic design. It's not going to be the church name or how hip the pastor is or what shoes he wears. What's going to make a church flourish is the preached word of Jesus Christ. Amen. Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And a church that declares the gospel is a church that is unashamed of the gospel. And I thank the Lord for a man like Pastor Chapel who is not ashamed to declare the gospel of Jesus Christ in Lancaster. And I don't know about you, but every time I drive into Lancaster, I see a barren desert and think to myself, what was he thinking? Right? And I believe God used this in this way because he can show in the, even in desert places that he is God. Amen. And I don't follow a man, but I follow him as he follows Christ. Amen. Guys, we can't afford to not fulfill the Great Commission. The cost is too, too, too great. And these men had the faith to believe that Jesus could and would meet their need. Their faith was placed into action. It would have been easy if they said, hey, you know what? There's no point in trying today. Let's come back tomorrow. Instead, they understood the need of the hour. They could have told the lame man, hey, brother, you know what? We're praying for you. But they said, hey, let's get some action to our prayers. Guys, we need to make each moment count. Don't wait until tomorrow. Tomorrow may never come. John 4.35, say ye not, say not ye that there are, there are four months, then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, look unto the fields, for they are white already unto harvest. Guys, the time is now to go after the mission field with a renewed vigor. And I don't know if you notice this, but time is running out. We need to get off our phones some of us are even, I dare say it, I know I'm at a Bible college, we're, we're in the books maybe a bit too much. We need to get out into the field. Hey, hey, you know what? Don't just leave it till a Saturday. What's stopping you from going today after lunch? Not all of us maybe are called into full-time ministry. I hope in a college like this, most of you are, but maybe some of you are thinking, hey, you know what? Maybe I'm doing a one-year Bible or something like that, but... You know what? Regardless of where you're called to, you, we are all called to be ambassadors for Christ. In the end, it's God who gets the glory. Look at this final thing here. It says here that in Mark 2 verse 12, it says that they were all amazed and they glorified God. In the end, it's all about His glory. How do I want you to respond to this message? 
You've heard a message now on soul winning. Brother Keegan, how, how am I supposed to live right now in light of eternity, in light of what you've told us. Well, I'm going to read you a text message that was sent, through to, a dear, sent to me by a dear friend, a, a, a missionary in Sri Lanka. He said this, because I asked him the same question. He said this, My sincere counsel for you is to see God working to solidify the church. Digging deeper in your service to the Lord through your church, God is doing something great that you don't dare want to miss out on. Give the church all the time you can in prayer, helping wherever and however. Make no changes to your church status other than getting down on your knees and cry out for a revival of missions hearted thrust. A major working of God taking place. Get to the church, pray in solitude at least once a week by yourself and or with your wife. Start a missionary movement at the church that will turn this world upside down. Launch out into the deep. Let down your soul-winning prayer, discipleship net, and realize that God is reviving you, your family, and the church in the midst of the years. Be a watchman. Your church needs you. You need your church more than ever before. Own it. Claim it. Nail it down. Rise up, O man of God. It's time to go after Australia in the 1040 with a renewed vigor. Get a polo shirt imprinted that your church is the greatest place to be. Win souls. Bring them in from the fields of sin. Church, let me tell you today that the bridge is out, that the lost are on their way to hell, and we have the opportunity to get out of our car and to wave people down. Some will avoid you. Some may even curse you, but some people will heed to the, the warning. Will you be the one today to get somebody to Jesus?